Chloe, Mitchell, Jasper, and Chatters stood at the edge of the clearing, staring at the strange little lopsided cottage ahead of them, walls covered in ivy, roof covered in moss, and a wispy puff of smoke curling up out of a little stone chimney. Well, we know someone's home. I guess we should knock. Be my guest. Well, I would, but maybe Chatter should do it. Me? Yeah, give him a chance to get street smart, you know? Ugh. Do I have to be the brave one every time? Chloe stepped up to the wooden door and lifted a fist. But before she could even knock, they heard a voice through the door. Hi. We're glad you're here. Welcome to another exciting episode of... The Scribbler Story. Whatever you're selling, we don't want any. Whoa, she must have really good hearing. Yes, I do. The wooden knob twisted and the door opened. Standing in front of them was a figure in plain, rugged clothing, and wearing an apron, she was short, and seemed quite old, with white, wispy hair tied up in a bun and many wrinkles. Despite her apparent age, her eyes twinkled brightly, and Chloe noticed that her ears had a bit of a point to them. Um, hello. We're here for a story. Do I look like a babysitter to you? Run along, children. I have no time to entertain hooligans and tell bedtime stories. Hey, we're not hooligans. Yeah, we're only hooligans half the time. Jasper, shut it. He has a point, Chloe. I can think of at least five times we've been hooligans just this week. You're not helping. We think we're supposed to talk to you? I doubt it. I live out here for a reason. I don't have to talk to people. We're the, we're the scribblers. Scribblers, eh? Am I supposed to know what that means? Look, we were told you could help us. We're here to collect a story, but not just any story. A true story. A story of Elohim. Well, why didn't you say that in the first place? Come in, then come in, come in, and make yourself at home. My name is Maggie. They followed her into the hut. It was one large room with a large stone hearth on one wall, a crackling fire providing light and warmth, and a ladder leading up to a little loft in the lopsided peak of the cabin. Bundles of herbs and dried wildflowers hung down everywhere from the beams above, and all kinds of old books and assorted glass jars lined the many rustic shelves around the room filled with various exotic leaves and minerals and colored liquids. I see you are not just here to harass a poor old woman. Still, I'm very curious how a group like yours would end up all the way out here, seeking the stories of Elohim. Ooh, I'll tell you all about it! So, at first I was so bored. Then these guys came along and put out the fire and went in front of the council and it was a real nail-biter. But they were allowed to stay. Then I got promoted to a general. Well, okay, not a general, but I did get to join this super neato story acquisition team. 
And then I found a really tasty acorn. Great job, Chatters, but maybe you should let Chloe explain. Absolutely. I'm really good at shutting up. I'm as quiet as a church mouse. You'll probably want to give me an award for most quiet. Not saying you have to, but you should probably think about the award ahead of time, because I'm going to be the most quiet you've ever heard. Chatters. Starting now. We were sent by the scriptorium. We're on a mission to recover stories. Ah, the scriptorium. Now it's all starting to make sense. Well, then, you've come to the right place. We don't get visitors often, but we can certainly tell a story. I'll put some more wood on the fire and make some tea. I think we'll be here for a while. Hi, Enoch! Coming! The group heard thudding footfalls, growing steadily louder as something ran toward the cottage. As the thumping got closer, they heard a whoa and a crash from just outside, and a tumble of gray hair and hooves fell through the doorway. Oh, I'm okay. Totally fine. The little donkey started to run again, but tripped on a straw mat and knocked over a small table, sending several vials of different colored liquids flying into the wall with a crash, careening forward and finally landing in a heap in front of the crew, limbs splayed in all directions. The small donkey looked up at them and smiled, pieces of hay sticking out from the tufts of mane on his head. Still good! <laughs> the violent sneeze sent dust and hay everywhere, engulfing the crew in a cloud for a few moments. Children, you'll have to excuse my little friend here. He's not the most coordinated. But I am the most celebrated. <laughs> and how could you not? I'm awesome! Everyone, meet Enoch. Enoch, meet the Scribblers. Hi, Enoch. Nice to meet you. It's a pleasure to make your acquaintance. Thanks. It's a pleasure to meet you. <laughs> you. <laughs> well, go ahead, Enoch. Tell us a story. <laughs> well, uh, any story? A true story. Hmm. Okay. Let me think. I may be a bit rusty, but it's like riding an elephant. You never forget how. <laughs> I don't think that's the phrase. Kind of makes sense, though. Oh, yes! I'll tell you about my great-uncle Darian. Chatters got out his journal, tested his pencil on his tongue, and waited, ready to transcribe. <laughs> a long time ago, there was a tribe of people who had lived in the desert for many years and felt that it was time to settle in greener lands. But when they moved to a nice spot, their neighbors, a tribe called the Moabites, felt threatened by them because there were a lot of them. So he wanted to get rid of them. Sounds like a big meanie. 
right? Uh, anyway, so the king of the Moabites had heard that the desert people were super strong and that they had a supernatural power in battle and were led by a powerful prophet. What he didn't know is that they were followers of Elohim. Wait, Elohim? That's who the abbess was talking about. Of course! Everybody knows about Elohim! <laughs> Chatters had started writing as soon as Enoch had begun to share, and something began to happen. None of the children seemed to notice, and Chatters was too focused on keeping up with the story. But if you had been there, looking over his shoulder, you would have seen the letters flicker slightly and start to glow. The desert people had faith in Elohim, and it was Elohim that kept them safe, and the prophet helped them talk to Elohim. But the bad king Balak thought it was the power of the prophet because they were using magic. So instead of fighting them with swords, he hatched a sneaky plan to fight them with magic. Magic? Yeah, he decided to get some magic of his own and hired a sorcerer named Balaam to curse them. Yikes. So how does your uncle fit into this? Oh, be patient, I'm getting there. <laughs> I can't just skip to the end, you know. <laughs> Sorry. So this Balaam character was a sketchy dude pray to all sorts of different gods and practice dark magic. This time, though, Elohim visited Balaam before he was set to leave. He talked to Balaam in a dream and told him not to curse his people. But Balaam was way too excited by all of the promises that the Moabite king had made to give him fancy clothes and fancy titles, so he refused. What? That doesn't seem smart. Well, you have to admit it. Balaam might have been stupid, but pretty brave if you think about it. It takes guts to ignore a direct warning from God herself. <laughs> he wanted to give him a chance. And that's where my great-great-uncle comes in. Sweet! As Balaam was traveling on the road to the desert people to carry out his devious mission, he got into a pickle. Elohim put an angel in the path, holding an enormous sword and blocking the road. Balaam couldn't see it, but my uncle could. People think donkeys are dumb, but we're very perceptive. I'm guessing this doesn't go well for Balaam. Ooh, he's gonna get squashed for sure. Exactly. My uncle knew that if they kept going, the angel would strike them both down with his sword, so he stopped dead in his tracks. Now, Balaam was still obsessed with getting gold and stuff from the Moabite king, so he didn't even pay attention to my uncle. He got all worked up and started beating my uncle. Seriously? Wow. What an ungrateful chump. Like I said, Balaam was not a nice guy. Then Elohim whispered to my uncle and he started talking. Now this is pretty normal for us now, but back then it was a real surprise because most animals couldn't talk. 
So my great, great, great uncle said to Boam, Why have you struck me? Haven't I been a loyal servant? Boam was even more embarrassed at this. But then Elohim revealed the angel to Balaam, who fell off his donkey and prayed for mercy. So the angel stepped aside to let him pass. When he got to the camp of the desert people, he could not curse them no matter how hard he tried. Every time he opened his mouth, blessings came out. You know, it seems like a lot of trouble overall. Why didn't Elohim bother talking to Balaam? Why didn't he just, I don't know, make him go poof? Yeah, if the god of the desert people is so powerful, why didn't he just make the problem go away? You know what? I've thought of that too. But that's just not how they work. Elohim doesn't just take over. They let people make their own decisions. Elohim doesn't desire the death of anyone, no matter how evil their actions might be. Elohim wants to meet them all. Right, Maggie? Maggie was staring at them with a strange, faraway look on her face. Maggie? By the green of the canopy. The letters in the book had been growing steadily brighter and now shone out like a lamp, catching the other scribbler's attention. Uh, are you guys seeing this? This must be the breath they were talking about. I thought they were just being metaphorical. I've never seen anything like it. Me neither. It's beautiful. Where did you say you were from? Well, the scriptorium sent us, but we're from Canada. I wonder. Enoch, could you bring me my glasses? <laughs> sure. The donkey thudded away and, after a few moments, returned with a pair of delicate spectacles. Uh, here they are. Thank you, Enoch. She turned towards them and pushed her glasses onto the top of her head before turning back and began rummaging around in a large cupboard. Many years ago, someone came to me saying that they were on the run and that one day four warriors would arrive who could tap into breath. I was to give them something. It was very important. Now, you don't look much like warriors to me, no offense. But unless my eyes deceive me and this old brain has finally gone cuckoo bananas, <laughs> that was a zephyr. The spiritual power of Elohim's breath made manifest in the real world. And if it was, children, if, if what I saw means what I think it does, then you might be the ones that I've been waiting for. Now, if, if only I could find that box. I know it's here somewhere. Enoch, have you seen my glasses? What do you mean? I just gave them to you. She continued rummaging, pulling out various doodads and thingamabobs and tossing them aside. Ah, I've been looking for this. Oh, forget about that. Hard to see. I, I wish I had my glasses. I've never seen anything like it. You're right, neither have I. 
All the equipment she's got in her closet. It's like nothing I've ever seen before. What? No, I meant that her glasses are on her head. They're sitting right there, plain as day. Oh. What are you two whispering about? Her glasses. They're on her head. Well, why don't you say something? For Canopy's sake, where have I put those glasses? Excuse me, Maggie. Your glasses are right there, on your head. Ah, uh, so they are. <clears throat> Thank you, <clears throat> young lady. Now then, here we are. Finally, she hauled out a small but heavy-looking chest and placed it on the table, blowing the dust off in a thick cloud. She muttered to herself as she began fiddling with a small key and fitting it into the padlock. Perfect! She opened the chest to reveal a strange assortment of belongings, including a silver coin with a hollow center, an ornate iron key, a beeswax candle, a loose scrap of parchment with a note scribbled across it, and gemstones wrapped in a velvet handkerchief. Maggie picked up the gemstone, and Chloe picked up the note. Seek the stone, seek the source. What does that mean? It might mean the fate of the world rests in the hands of three children and a squirrel. As the old woman spoke, they noticed a softness in her voice, and the same faraway look in her eye from before. She uncovered the gem and held it up. It was about the size of an egg. The shape was a teardrop, but like other gems you might have seen, it had been cut into a geometric style with straight lines and clean edges. It sparkled and shone as she turned it in the light and seemed first to have no color and then to have every color all at once. Maggie placed the gem on the glowing journal, and it began to glow with the same light as the words on the page. Chloe stepped forward, entranced, and then reached out to touch it. Now, we cannot blame her for this. It was a natural instinct to reach for this gem and pick it up. The gem was beautiful and important, and any one of us would have done the same thing if we were in her position. As her hand touched the gem, she felt a pulse of electricity shoot up her arm into her chest. A humming charge hung in the air around them, and the little hairs stood up on their arms. Little points of light appeared, like fireflies or dust motes illuminated in a sunbeam. The words in the field journal flickered and then burst into a bright light and Chatters had to cover his eyes. Whoa! As everyone stared, the particles of light hovered in the air around Chloe for just a brief moment, then collapsed toward her chest and disappeared. And the electric pulse shot back down her arm, hitting the gem with a blinding flash of light. Wow! A shockwave of force that swept outward, breaking glass and furniture and knocking everyone flat. Chloe saw stars, and then everything went black. <laughs>